Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Dale and I are delighted to be with you here again today to have a conversation betwixt the two of us, which I think are often our favorite uh, our favorite episodes, is just to talk to each other and talk about the things. Um, uh, obviously, uh, it is worth mentioning that I have uh, procured a new hat. Uh, <laughs> those of you who are regulars to this program will know that uh, I pretty often have a bad hair day, despite the fact that my wife is a talented hairdresser, and I have worn many a hat on this program to uh, compensate for that fact. But I do believe that this uh, this fisherman's cap uh, is isn't uh, uh, this Irish wool, Irish woven fisherman's cap is yeah, uh, in the fact one. the hat to end all hats for me. And so uh, I think all of my problems are solved, basically. Yeah, I think so. We've we, you don't have to worry about much anymore. Money, whatever, you know. I've got this cares? hat. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I think one of the greatest stand-up comedians living today, Eddie Pepitone, who's I think a true genius of the art of stand-up, though not for the faint of heart. I will warn. Uh, he has a great bit about how procuring a new hat solved all of his problems. And I believe one of his lines was, uh, uh, I love my hat so much, my new hat so much that uh, it almost makes up for a life that wasn't well lived, uh, which, which is not very wise uh, to be sure. Yes. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, uh, I can't tell you how much that particular line appeals to me. Mm. Um, anyway, we're not here to talk about my new hat for more than that. We're here to talk about winsomeness, nuance, and third ways. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. This has been a, a large discussion on the Internet uh, in the last couple of weeks. And so it's worth kind of qualifying up front precisely what Dale and I are going for in this particular conversation. Uh, and because uh, Twitter is both a very large space and depending on your network can be a very small space, it's worth kind of clarifying what we're talking about, what we're not talking about here. And so I'm just going to set up our conversation for the first few minutes. Typically, I don't like to kind of monologue too much at the beginning, but I'll probably talk for three or four minutes here just to sort of set up what we're trying to talk about, what we're not trying to talk about, so that our conversation, you know, for, for those who want to hear us, uh, uh, is just more productive and, you, you know, you have a sense of what we're really thinking here. So first things first, this is not about James Wood's article about Tim Keller. <laughs> right. uh, James Wood's our good friend, our good brother. He, uh, I have interacted with James on a number of occasions, and I, I have found him to be nothing but a good faith interlocutor, uh, you know, who, who is willing to, you know, to, to converse with people in a way that's, that's, uh, that's meaningful uh, and substantive. And so I don't agree with everything that James has written in the last couple of weeks, uh, but his his particular critiques of the notion of wisdom and nuance and what he's doing with the thirds way, you know, critique, even again, though I don't agree with all of it, um, he's not particularly what I have in mind here when we when we talk when we move on to talk about uh, the danger of some of the language that's being thrown around with wisdom and nuance and third ways, uh, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, a second call. So not James Wood. We're not trying to knock on James Wood. <laughs> uh, 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 and part of this, of course, is that these critiques are older than James Wood. It's not like the people haven't been critiquing the third wayism or wisdom or nuance or whatever, you know, until James Wood's article about Tim Keller. This has been, a, this kind of rhetoric has been floating on Twitter uh, in a wide variety of ways for a long time. Um, so second qualification, we're not here to judge anybody that we are talking about, or nobody's judge. Uh, we'll talk probably during this conversation about uh, how much we ourselves must be incredibly hopeful <laughs> mm. that the merciful final judgment of God, when it gazes upon us, gazes upon us with enormous compassion for all the, the erroneous things we've thought and the motivations with which we've spoken. I know that when I sit in front of the burning righteousness of God's own face, uh, much of the words that I have spoken in this world, I'll look back on and be happy to watch them incinerate away mm -hmm. from the eternal campfire because they don't belong. And that will be true of all of us. It's a haunting truth. Uh, and I, and that needs to inform that needs to inform the way that we're thinking about and relating to others. Even when we talk about deep disagreements on these controversial subjects, we can punch each other in the face a bit, but we also need to have uh, an open hearted 
disposition and a deep, deep compassion for one another and the difficulty of living in the moral universe that we live in. So that's a that's another thing we want to say. A third thing we a qualification up front uh, is really that that you know there are legitimate critiques out there. Uh, uh, sometimes when people are crit criticizing third ways or criticizing sort of the way of nuance or criticizing uh, a sort of constant focus on good faith and winsomeness and all these things, there are legitimate things that can be targeted when you're criticizing something like that. Uh, it is true. Uh, that that um, you know, uh, being winsome, or, or uh, you know, you know, the 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 pressure to never throw a hard punch, uh, to state a position with precision, uh, can be instrumentalized uh, to kind of shore up one's position within you know, sort of sort of you know, middle class or upper middle class status quo culture. It's true that they can. That, that an overfocus on those things and that a reduction of all discourse, in fact, to those things uh, can uh, bespeak cowardice. It can bespeak naivety about, uh, the, the, about some of the severe rhetorical tactics that need to be uh, taken on occasion. Uh, 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 it can be naive about the necessity of taking that approach at points during the times. Uh, and so none of this then is, is to say that that there's nothing that goes by the name of third way, quote, quote, ism. There's no defensive nuance and there's no defensive winsomeness that isn't subject to legitimate critique. We take that for granted. So that's the, the negative side. Uh, what, I'll, what I'll do then in a, in a minute, I'll, I'll have my other three minute monologue and we'll talk about maybe the positive side. What do we want the positive side of the conversation to be? But you know, on the front side, uh, I'll, I'll kick that back to you and just say, you know, we were talking about, you know, this isn't about James Wood. This isn't, you know, this isn't about us judging souls or coming up with totalizing evaluations of persons. We're recognizing that there's legitimate critiques. Is there anything else you feel that maybe on the front side in terms of here's what we're not trying to do uh, yeah. that needs to be added? Yeah, I just, I think not, not a lot. Um, and, um, you know, you and I have talked about this at length, but one of the things I want to sort of emphasize that you've already stated, because I think it's important, is that, so Joe and I recognize that, yes, this can, the, the, you know, winsomeness and niceness and kindness can be a shield uh, for political discourse, uh, the impact of political discourse on one's person. So you mentioned cowardice. I think that that is true, that it can be used as a, a way to escape confrontation and never have to make a, you know, dogmatic statement about anything morally, ethically, or, or, or whatever. Um, but that could be said about everything. Uh, and I think that, you know, any good thing can be perverted by one's cowardice and even uh, honor and you know mm. sort of heroism can be used as a cloak for cowardice so when we get into these conversations i think it's less about does the general category of winsomeness need to be tossed out altogether because some people have abused it and the answer is in my opinion obviously no uh, and we'll talk about for some of those reasons um but can it be perverted and the answer is obviously yes but to say that is to say nothing really, because that's just life. Sin is missing the mark. We're all aiming, if we're Christians, at some good in everything that we do. And whether that be my parenting style uh, and my kindness to my children that I can pervert where it's suffocating for my children and therefore turn it into a vice, the same way uh, winsomeness can be aimed at and, and sort of over, you can overplay your hand and miss the mark to be winsome uh, because you can fall into the error of never saying anything that matters really. Yeah, self-protection. Um, self-protection, precisely. Yeah. And so what we're trying to talk about today is there's these scare quotes that are thrown around virtues that are as old as Christianity. And for some reason, there are certain cross sections of Christendom uh, that use these square qu scare quotes 
to say you should never do that thing. And if you do that thing, you're soft, you're not able to fight the culture mm -hmm. wars effectively. And it's like, that's not necessarily true. And you perpetuating that, uh, you're leading the people that are listening to you into very dangerous territories to where they could become uh, embittered and full of hatred for their man, for their, their, the man, mankind uh, and the people that are on the same side as them. Uh, and you could actually be an agent that undermines the effectiveness of the call that Christianity makes to the world to repent and believe in Jesus. So that's all I think I want to say, but my, well, my whole, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, you're good. Uh, do you want to say anything else? No, 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 no. Okay. That's it. Well, actually you kind of pushed us already and a little bit into the kind of positive side, which I, I think is exactly right. Um, uh, some of it is, uh, you know, there needs to be a correction of some rhetorical sloppiness, you know, when the problem with throwing scare quotes around something like, you know, winsome, oh, the way of winsomeness, ooh, is that it's, uh, that's not the kind of rhetorical move that you can, that you can control. Uh, it actually creates a kind of loose vibe signifier that, 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 that attracts <laughs> attracts bad actors like a horde of flies uh, right. and spreads a certain, uh, you know, I can't even call it anything, but a sort of cultural vibe that, 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 that contributes to, I think, an increased callousness. Uh, and, and I think the devil can hide in that. Lewis is very good at this. The way we speak, the flippancy with which we can just start naming virtues. Oh, good faith. Ooh, good faith actors. Ooh. You know, when we start that, that is doing something to us at the level speech is the logos is appropriated through speech. When we hmm. throw that literally into the air, into human ears with all of the affect with which we throw it, we're shaping a soul toward heaven or hell. Yep. And, and, and that's why the Bible speaks so much about the, 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 the degree to which the perfect man uh, is the one who can control the tongue because of yeah. how powerful that small little instrument is. Um, but some of what we need is just precision, right? So, you know, you talk about third wayism and immediately I think part of what gets muddled in the debate, one is that there's, there's a million ways. There's not two ways. And then, oh, look, here's the smart nuance bros who are trying to come in and find the third way. There's as right. many options as there are people who who exist on this endless endless spectrum of differences. Uh, there's this great uh, quote in uh, that hideous strength where Mark uh, is talking to a couple faculty, and um, he disagrees with an elderly and wiser gentleman earlier in the book, and the and uh, Mark kind of dismisses the older gentleman and says, "Well, I guess there's two perspectives on everything." And the old man says, two perspectives, there's a million perspectives on everything. Unless you know the truth, then there's only one. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, so that's worth saying. But even when we get into what can be fail to be distinguished when we talk about third ways or you know, third wayism is, for instance, the difference between something like political and cultural third wayism. So it might be the case, I don't feel like I have the competency to evaluate exactly how laws get passed. And maybe my impression overly comes from kind of media consumption or something. But the people I know who've worked in Washington, DC, uh, assure me that it's uh, the old adage is true. Uh, you don't want to see how sausage gets made and you don't want to see how laws get passed. <laughs> uh, there's a seedy world, perhaps, of real politic where uh, when we're when you're literally talking about a concrete piece of legislation getting passed or not, the mechanics of just winning and losing are real and they matter. Uh, and sometimes there is a vector of politics that really does work that way. You're trying to win. You're trying to point at a thing and say, that's wrong. Don't do that. You're trying to make moves so that your side, if you think it's righteous, accomplishes its thing. Uh, and there's, there is a little bit of a zero sum, not a little bit, there's a significant element of a zero sum win-lose element in the world of actual legislation. That's real. Uh, and it could be that a, a, a kind of overstatement about third-wayism in such a context is just missing 
the very game that's being played on a case right. in, in some political cases, but in a cultural context, largely what we would want to talk about here, that kind of reality, those dimensions of reality that operate in a kind of binary fat fashion, you either win or lose a political battle, um, uh, can be uh, kind of kind of excarnated into the pre-political world of culture, yes. where 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 it's not actually a zero-sum game, and you're just kind of floating in the world of human interpretation and persuasion, and the words you utter to each other are really, at the end of the day, when you're on Twitter and in these sorts of spaces, you're just a person throwing words into the void uh, in order to sort of collect the the, the kind of or, or, or throw some weight into the common consciousness. Yeah, and, and in that context. Uh, in that context, it seems to me there's there are virtues fitted precisely for that context. They might include throwing punches, uh, but it doesn't seem to me that that's the space. Um, uh, uh, it doesn't. Well, let me just pause there. I want I want you to talk. I don't I don't want to hog this. Uh, minimally, what we can say is that's a different space than the zero sum space of legislation, uh, and and we should talk about. Uh, what that reality, the reality of that difference means for our rhetorical approach to that space yeah. and what influence looks like within it. Yeah, I'm glad you made the distinction because what I see in the critique of, you know, uh, winsomeness or third wayism or whatever is a collapse of that, the pre-political and the political, as you just pointed out, and very smartly, the political is what it is. We must win by passing laws and passing laws means you don't mince words and you just get it done. Although I would argue that most of the bills passed are literally just mincing words. <laughs> um, but, laws but are I, very third way-ish. <laughs> yeah, right, yes. Uh, but what you're talking about is the cultural third wayism and winsomeness in our rhetorical approach to the culture. And so, like, as Christians, we should take our cues, obviously, from our Lord Jesus, right? Um, and it's interesting, you and I have done a few episodes with uh, Alistair Roberts about the, the rhetoric of Jesus, mm. like in his sermons or the way that he's answering his critics. And like, what is Jesus doing there? And you have to get the whole historical context to fully appreciate the way that he's answering uh, his critics. Mm. Mm. But I think that um, even if you don't go that far in your study, if you just take the Bible, the New Testament, at face value on the plain reading of what Jesus is doing, it's interesting that what he does to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees is constantly accuse them of not being able to hear and to see the obviousness of the law, since they, uh, you know, are teachers of the law. Uh, and he calls curses from the Old Testament. And he says, these curses are manifested right now in you. You know, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear because your heart, your heart is hardened. And these were very basic questions of the law. Um, like, you know, who is my neighbor? Who should I love? And Jesus says, well, or what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, love God and love neighbor, because in this is the fulfillment of the law. And this should be this should have been very obvious to uh, the Israelites. They should have known that this is what fulfilled the law. It was a it was a law of love. And so when you say something like, hey, love your neighbor that means you can't lie about your neighbor and so when you're in a mm. when you're in a conversation with your neighbor who you disagree with and you willingly uh con confuse their argument and present it as the worst form of what they're saying you are bearing false witness against your neighbor and if somebody calls you on that and you say well the ends justify the means in substance because not many people would say that directly um especially conservatives but if if that's what you're doing in substance 
then you're violating the law. And if somebody called you on it and you're like, well, blah, 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 then you've missed the obviousness of the law. Yeah. And that's interesting to me that I'm, that I'm noticing even, let me, I'll say one more thing. No, no, go ahead. Even with the idea of kindness, mm -hmm. you know, Paul says, let your reasonableness, let your reasonableness be known to all men. The idea that being kind and winsome has now turned into a soft, squishy, evangelifish sort of notion is foreign to me, and it's foreign to the New Testament. We are to go out into our communities and let the fragrance of the gospel be so attracted to, attractive to image bearers that they want to like Paul's captors, see you again about this matter. There are some that will go away and they will not listen to you, but there are some that will want to hear you again on the subject that you're speaking about. And if you situate yourself as, as an actor in your community known for his abrasive and overly crass uh, rhetoric, then you're taking the beauty of the gospel and you're covering it in the slime of your sin. And then you're telling everyone that it's because the world hated Jesus that they hate me and what I'm saying. It's like, no, the world is hating you because you're being a jerk for no reason. <laughs> uh, so let the gospel be offensive to who the gospel is going to be offensive to. It's going to be offensive to sinners, but yeah. never, never allow yourself to be the stumbling block to the gospel. Let it be offensive yeah. on its own terms. It, and there's, that's, that's really interesting uh, what you talk about. It's like the basics get forgotten. And this is actually when we throw quotation marks around things like winsome, uh, even though, yeah, I, I know that winsome is not technically a biblical word. It is kind of funny that it has the word win in it. Uh, you know, right, it's a little right. ironic. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but but what's being critiqued in the name of, of Winsome is very clearly and manifestly what is just all over the New Testament and named as virtues. Uh, yeah. You know, being all things to all people is conflated with cuckoldry in some circles. Uh, and I think part of what we need to say is, you know, it's not it's not an either or. Uh, being winsome and kind and listening and compassionate and very cautious to judge is not inconsistent with throwing a very hard punch in somebody's face. Sure. Uh, you can do both of those things. You can throw a very, very hard punch in somebody's face and then offer a hand and say, but I don't want you to just lie down there. I want to see your reign restored. These are not either ors, and I think it becomes dangerous when we start talking about the path of winsomeness versus the, that's not even, that's just not even, it's not even Christian. Even in war, <laughs> literally what the Christian ethical tradition has done is brought the burning cauldron of God's heart down even into the space of war so yeah. that the just war tradition is saying, here is when not to fight. Here is when not to punch. You actually have to justify it. And when you do it, you have to do it this way. And you need priests around to minister to hearts uh, so, that, so that our civilization doesn't become black from what this, the, the kind of moral injury this sort of headspace can have to us. And, and mm. this is all a long-winded way of getting to what you said is just right. You read Jesus in the New Testament, and it's so funny that it's almost like there's a perception, oh, we're, we're in the times where... You know, that, yeah, that's the basics. That's the white belt stuff. But uh, here we are, we're at third degree black belt stuff and we have all the exceptions. And it's like, the, it's only the person who's mastered the basics who really has the vantage point to know what it is, what to do in the exceptional time. So, mm. you know, people often say things like, uh, uh, you know, people are just submitting to the government. I just don't even know when that what what at what point would they cease submitting to Caesar? You know, that kind of rhetoric is thrown around. Right. And what I always when it hits me, I always want to say, well, at what point would you cease submitting to Caesar? Actually, the answer to that question is not supposed to be easy. Hey, when should I disobey my dad? Right. <laughs> it's not right. a thing. <laughs> 
that most of us should even like be really, really trying hard to investigate. Normally you should be throwing your weight into the direction of you're probably, it's probably hard for you to obey dad because he's annoying sometimes. And the person whose heart has done that fully right. is the person who knows this is when it is most loving to my father to disobey him. And when you disobey, you disobey hard. Uh, right. But what, what's interesting to pull back and just say one more thing and I'll toss it back to you is, is the, uh, you know, uh, I was just recently looking at um, N.T. Wright and uh, Michael Byrd's kind of one volume New Testament intro. And one of the things that's kind of fun to read there and, and be reminded of is just the world Jesus came into. And, you know, it's quite literally pre-Christendom, right? A very pagan world. But you think like the, the world of Jewish revolutionary impulse, conservative people who are very, very uh, worried about social purity. Uh, uh, Rome is sexually depraved. Mm -hmm. They are surrounded by depravity. They're surrounded by sacrilege. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the reaction of God's people or the response of God's people within that context was full of parties. There's the Herodians who are kind of like, you know, kind of in, in bed with the system. You know, that would correspond to maybe the evangelical critique of the hashtag elites. But then mm -hmm. you have the Sadducees who are kind of lefty revolutionaries quite you know, this, this none of this really corresponds that beautifully right. but really what it is is there's a range of revolutionary impulse and then the Essenes of course who were just kind of doing their thing in the woods quote quote uh, 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 and Jesus comes along in a world of, uh, of with of discourse that's as complex as Twitter mm -hmm. and he says singular sentences that speak to everybody at the same time and he says something different. And it seems to me when I read the New Testament and look at its context and then step outside of it and pull it into ours, all of those words of Christ that sound like the basics, but really we're in this other complicated time where we need folks on this stuff, actually the words of Jesus take on a new relevance for us. Uh, mm. It is precisely now <laughs> that you need to go read 1 Corinthians 13 and shove it all the way down in until the yep. burning heart of God is burning inside of you. And then you will be the person that anybody, anyone can safely trust to tell us when to disobey dad. Yes. Yeah, that is correct. Um, I think it's interesting too, you know, uh, you're talking about first Corinthians, Paul at the beginning of the letter starts to talk about the flip flop of wisdom and foolishness, right? Like the ways of God are foolish to man uh, and man sees his ways as, as wise. Um, when we're talking about, you know, fighting the culture war and what sort of disposition we take in that culture war and what sort of rhetoric we should use, uh, some of the critique of the winsomeness and kindness uh, camp, the guys that take that approach towards the culture war, is you're just naive, you're stupid, you don't get it, your enemies are never going to give you an inch, they're trying to kill you, they'll take everything from you and use everything against you, why are you being kind to them? It seems foolish to be kind to them. It seems foolish to be winsome to them because they're trying to kill you. But that's precisely what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians. Yes, it does seem foolish to do that, doesn't it? Yes, it does seem foolish that victory comes through death. But that's the whole point of the cross. The victory over the kingdom of, the, of darkness comes through the death of the Son of God and his resurrection, uh, his humiliation uh, and his torture and subsequent crucifi crucifixion was the precise means in God's wisdom that was used to overcome uh, death and evil. So there's a pattern there, I think, that you can locate in the life of the church uh, specifically that will, a sort of algorithm that will keep going until uh, the eschaton. And that is that, I mean, and then you look at let me let me before I make that point, then you you made this point earlier when we were talking, then you look at what happened when Christianity literally takes over the world. <laughs> so you've got a bunch of Christians that are out here loving their neighbors, serving their neighbors, sharing the gospel. Uh, and they have this principle of, you know, if your enemy demands your cloak, 
give them give them everything uh and they're they are winning through love through a submission to uh principles uh that are more uh important than just political maneuvers and then they conquer politically the whole world and Nero's defeated and paganism is overturned and Christianity has made the religion of everyone. So um, when when I hear this sort of like, you know, repeated, your enemies are not going to care. Why are you being so winsome? Why are you trying to be kind to people that are trying to take everything that you love and throw it into the dustbin of history and indoctrinate your children into, you know, transgenderism? Why are you not, why are you responding that way? It's like, well, because that seems to be the wisdom of God. And I understand if that seems foolish because God told us that it would seem foolish. Yeah. But it nevertheless has been a winning strategy, both pre-political, culturally, and politically. So, And what uh, that does, I think what can put those two things together is to say you can throw a punch, but that's not the same thing as enjoying it, really. <laughs> mm. uh, in, in other words, we're not just LARPing, you know, throwing a bunch of jabs that we feel good about ourselves about fighting in a in kind of the crass world of winning and losing or calling out a sincere evil isn't pleasant uh uh, uh the prophets who had to do that job in the old testament didn't walk around enjoying it right uh, they're the weeping prophets right yeah, yeah because yeah. it's hard to talk to your brothers that's what you should feel like is not, I'm just throwing shade and excarnating this totem of my pagan cathartic rage. I am a Christian. <laughs> and therefore, when I speak hard words to a human face, I'm speaking to a brother and that feels hard. And if they're angry at me and they're mistreating me, I am not going to become calloused. I'm not going to become the person who just, it's easy to handle the pressure. Actually, it's wounding. I'm res you might become resilient and be able to endure that kind of treatment, but it doesn't mean you, you actually should not move your heart in the direction of being calloused uh, to that wound because uh, uh, allowing the wound to occur, the pain to occur, but to be strong through the pain is the very move that's going to enable you, the, the endurance you have to move into the pain is the proximity you will get to actually gaze at a brother in the face with the compassion of God, which they desperately need. And that that's something to say here. I think that one of the things that's going on, especially in Twitter rhetoric, and you know, you and I are entering our late 30s and early 40s here. We've but we've been in our late teens and early 20s. We know what we were like. We know what it's yeah. like to be kind of getting your first taste of all of the discourse and seeing the rhetorical options and kind of developing your own voice and your own opinions and, and finding your way into a, uh, finding your way into a, a kind of intellectual community, perhaps, or an imaginative community that will help shape you and give you guidance. And, and, and right now, I, I don't envy the young men who are having their first whiff of the world no doubt. In, in a space yes. like ours where there's so much urgency and there's so much um, there's so much emphasis on being courageous and strong. And you do need to be courageous and strong and have fortitude these days. That's all correct. But there's a, there's especially in these areas, and you've mentioned it when we talk about nuance and third ways and all these things, there's this re totally reductive binary. Uh, but then uh, there is this slow, undercurrent of association with uh oh if you if you hint that direction you're soft you're a cuck you know you're mm. you're the you're the you know you're the lackey of the machine you're the right. guy that the, the 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 system has been trying to shape through public school and whatever to the passive bah, 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 bah. and it's not that none of that can be true um but it's this deeply reductive reading of humans it's it's callously disinterested in their reign, in, in the redemption of their rulership. And what's more is that it's manipulating them by that site where I think all modern men are especially hungry. And that is we live in a civilization where uh, being men 
where an appreciation and pride in the very thing that is being a man is lost in public rhetoric largely. Also being a woman, actually, I think most of what's pride in being a woman is actually pride in not, you should be proud in not being a woman. <laughs> Nobody's right. actually proud of what they are or supposed mm. to be. And, and in that, the resentful, spiteful retort is going to, 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 to find kind of juvenile ways of re-insisting on myself because you're firing from a seat of such hunger for affirmation in who you are. And I think one thing I just is so important for young men to realize is that no movement toward the good is trying to put a fish hook in your consciousness and pull you to the good, the true, and the beautiful by your fear of being a cuck. Uh, that is not the path of righteousness. If you are taking any position because you are afraid of being a cuck, Right. That is the very essence of effeminacy. Yes. And you can shoot that in the face in the name of the Lord Jesus yes. <laughs> and yes. learn to be a man and think for yourself and actually uh, come. Don't don't mistrust your own judgment. Don't dis don't become callous to the smell of. But is that off? Is there something missing here? Follow those scents uh, yes. because you are you you have your own rule. Uh, men and women, really, uh, uh, men and I don't, it's not a thing that I should sound surprised about. All men and women are kings and queens. Yes, and have their own agency, uh, and and I think there's something going on in the, in, in the kind of rhetorical hive mind uh, that very easily enchants you into a kind of slavery uh, and cynicism that will eat you alive, and 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 engineer your rule into false starts instead of uh, using the gifts that God has given you to serve your neighbor in his name. Yes. Yes. Um, beautifully said, brother. Bravo. <laughs> here, here. Uh, yeah. I want to go back to something you said um, a little bit earlier about, you know, a human face. I think when we see the purple haired woman with the shout your abortion sign. Mm. Our initial instinct is to look at that face and feel a certain level of disgust and anger at the face. Now, um, you can be angry that those things are being sort of uh, advocated in the public square, because yep. those things are wicked. Mm -hmm. And we should, we should we should say that. But this is where I think the matrix is helpful. And I know it's a tired uh, example and everyone uses it in a whole bunch of different weird ways, but it's very apropos for our conversation. That face uh, is the face that Christ uh, came to liberate. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, it is your duty, your commission by the king to give that face uh, the gospel that liberates, that liberates them from the slavery of the sin that, that is uh, besetting them. And if your first move towards that person mm. is not one that recognizes that, then you're never going to genuinely and authentically be able to give them the beauty of the gospel. Mm. Because you're going to be so reactionary, you're going to be so triggered uh, that you're going to approach them from a spirit of hostility. So it's the person, the whole person. You don't know what that person believes outside of whatever logos they've sl slapped on their exterior to communicate some political position to the world. Uh, but you know nothing beyond that about that person. And that person is a very complex being that's made in the image of God that could be the next thing that starts a revival in America. You don't know. You don't know that. Yeah. But if all of your assumptions are merely uh, in their story can be redeemed, their story can be redeemed precisely. And it's it's and some of the best stories uh, come from these these 
people uh, that were once hostile towards the kingdom. Who that do are you now... mean by these people, Dale? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christian heroes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes, That's yes. what you mean. <laughs> um, and, I, and I was reminded in sort of thinking through this about uh, Lewis has this quote. I don't remember what book it's in. I think it's in Mirror Christianity, where he talks about how you know, you could read a headline about an atrocity and uh, you could think you could almost hope that that horrible headline is absolutely true. And if you found out that maybe it wasn't absolutely true, it would be like devastating to you. A little disappointing. <laughs> a little disappointing because you want it to be that bad and you could yeah. habituate that to where all you see is blackness all over the place. There's yeah. no light anymore. And don't think you're not that guy. Right. And, and, and that the entire world of social media is slowly wooing you to be that guy. Like you need to be in prayer on social media these days, mm. not to become reduced to just a pile of cynicism. Uh, uh, it, it's That is its tendency apart from deep resistance. I think, you know, when you talk again, yes, about the human face, and, I, and again, this is just one of those things where it, it seems like basic distinctions are lost. Very yeah. often to the retort to what you just said is like, well, it is loving to speak the truth. We know, <laughs> of course, it's yeah. loving to speak the truth. But often what's really being said in that in that is like, I'm allowed to just walk up to somebody and sort of mic drop my talking points and call that quote, quote, sharing the gospel and feel good about myself that I had a scalp of an encounter on my belt. And really <laughs> what it is, is like you're instrumentalizing a person to tell yourself that you've done a thing and you see them not at all. Most of what you probably, you actually don't know anything about these people. You don't know anything but like two things. Most of the time when the Bible is throwing grenades at people, you know, Paul is naming false teachers. It's not like he met the guy for two minutes and then is writing epistles against him. These are very well-known patterned characters in a community. Mm. What you know, what, what goes on on Twitter is that we see a person on a newscast and they've talked, we know, we know 30 seconds worth of information. It might be bad information. It might be that they're, you know, selling some horrible, dangerous, even agenda. But what is their attachment to that agenda? Why are they saying it? it even if it's dangerous and, 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 and how persuadable are they to say, hey, bro, that's dangerous. That's not a thing, you know, and that's a thing you should be interested in, nevertheless. And a good example yeah, of that. Well, go ahead, go ahead. well, one thing I just want to because that's a good point. And this is what a lot of Christians get upset uh, uh, against non-Christians for doing to us uh, when you see the sign you know, the pickets against Christianity, it's like, here's what they believe. And it's a reduction of something they've encountered with Christianity. And we're like, well, that's not real Christianity. Who the flat earth Christianity, you know, that kind right, of thing. Right, yeah. exactly. Or when somebody like is like, well, Calvinism just turned God into a, you know, sort of uh, monster that has arbitrary things, loves yeah. this guy, hates this guy. You it's are like, that that's guy. Not... <laughs> yes. Hey guys, so, you're that guy. So don't become that guy to those, to your enemies. And you should treat them. Here, here's here's something very very profound. You should treat them how you want to be treated. Taylor's <laughs> <laughs> selling Marxism, and I've got my socialist cap on. Even right. uh, uh, you know what's going uh, on up in here. Yes. Um, one of the things that I think would really help us, and, and, and this is a delicate conversation. On the one hand, you know the Bible says you, we're not. Our struggle is not against flesh and uh, against flesh and blood. Um, our struggle is against powers and principalities. Every every human face is potentially our, they are our brother relative to Adam, and, and, and they are potentially our brother in Christ. Uh, uh, and and our, our, our goal is the restoration of the human reign through the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Yep. That's our first posture. There are occasions where humans have a patterned movement toward the demonic that is so destructive to those around them that your relationship to them has to be either rhetorically or in some cases Hitler or something, you know, like literally forceful. No, <laughs> you mm -hmm. might even have to die 
uh, to prevent yes. the cancer that you could spread to the rest of the race. Not because I hate you qua you, uh, but it's because it's actually out of the very love for the human race that is love for the nature that you possess. Uh, and what that means is, Lewis is so good about this, um, Ransom's relationship to somebody like Weston. Weston is given mercy uh, by the, the by the the angel of Mars because Weston actually has a little bit of very distortedly good motivation. But by the time Weston is uh, possessed by the devil, basically when he's in 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 Venus, uh, then Ransom is uh, righteous in his hatred. Lewis writes this beautiful passage where all of Ransom's hatred was tinged with sin. But then there's this moment where there's a, a possession by the devil at the end of a very long process where hatred actually becomes righteous. But it's yes. a very, very precise circumstance. And most of the time, you're not in it. And a good example of that is, you know, take something like abortion. Very often the the rhetoric that's spoken about people who believe in abortion uh, is is as though uh, as demonic an interpretation of their attachment to that program as possible. There's almost like a, a fetish level delight in some cases in portraying the motivations behind it as, as, as just grotesque as humanly possible. But it neglects, I think, the fact that if you are less than 35 years old, if you, honestly, if you're less than 50 years old in this country uh, and you're a woman and you were not raised in a very Christian context or raised in a very nominally Christian context, then you have been told morning, noon, and night every day for your entire life that this thing is a hill you must die on or you hate your own gender that message has been shoved into the consciousness of females with such incredible, radical, psychological and rhetorical abuse that there is vast collective moral injury in the very conscience of a nation. Uh, mm -hmm. And that should make a lot of people in this context, even though it can become very demonic, there's a way, you know, when people start saying, shout my abortion and this sort of thing, and you go that direction, you are becoming an ideologue. You're not willing to stare at what this really is. And you're trying to, in, in a way, you're, you're, you're denying what it really is by just sort of going based in the other direction and holding on to it merely by an act of will. But a large part of what is going on in our context is massive collective moral injury, which is a category that a lot of people study in war. In war, you take an 18 to 22 year old, you put a gun in their hand and you just say, go pull the trigger over here. And our country, you and I have friends. We didn't have to go to Iraq and Afghanistan, but you and I both have friends who were in Iraq and Afghanistan when they were in their late teens and early 20s and experienced things that they, uh, the, 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 moral, the moral questionability of our nation's actions is a curse that you and I don't have to bear but very indirectly. It's a curse those people have to bear very directly because they were right up in it. And there's an injury that happens. There's a that moral injury that what people study in moral injury is, is, is the notion that you were kind of part of a collective mass action uh, and you have to kind of bear the sin of the nation in your own consciousness because you were the agent. Yeah. Uh, and you, at a time when you're, you know, you're young, you're just doing whatever you're told, but then you grow up and think, what, what just happened? And, and, and the impact on you is deep and lifelong and the source of PTSD and should make our brethren who had to go through these things objects of unbelievable and enormous pastoral compassion. But so similarly, honestly, the moral conscience of this nation and especially of young women, especially of young women, especially of young middle, uh, upper to middle class women, um, the 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 fire hose of malformation and I, I could say young men too honestly yeah uh, the fire hose of malformation is is unbelievable <laughs> and yeah. what that should do to the christian heart is not say oh look all the kids are misbehaving in their ideas 
what that should do to the Christian heart, first of all, is you say, I'm part of it. <laughs> mm. I'm part of the malformed. And a lot of the Christian, uh, the, 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 the Christian counterformation, in as much as it's just trying to not be that, uh, really winds up taking the very juvenility and instilling it at some deeper and subterranean layer uh, that then just turned your conservative project into something that's technically right, but just as useless. Um, <laughs> and what that should mean is, The Again, what we've started with, when you stand before the judgment seat, there's so many things you've said. There are so many ways in which you've instrumentalized people in conversations and instrumentalized them in your imagination that when it's revealed before the burning infinite plenitude of God's love, would if we could see it right now, if you could see what's going to be revealed about you right now, it would horrify you. Yeah. And yet God looks at you with compassion and is about restoring your reign. And if you can fully and humbly receive that, it's not about you. Oh, well, yes, you're fallen. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. And just enjoy the love of God and his compassion toward you. And then be shaped into being a little Christian who behaves like that. Right. So that when you stare out at others who are injured morally, they're broken in their conscience. You don't look at them just as enemies that I need to defeat. I might need to defeat their agenda, but they are my crown. Mm. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the goal, is them, the, yeah. the victory of the reign of man. Yeah, it reminds me, um, I don't know if I talked about this yet, but um, I was, I think I might have. So if I've said this before on the program, forgive me but it's relevant. We allow repetition uh, here, brother. Yes. So I was down in Costa Rica a couple of weeks back with the family. We're on vacation. Beautiful place, side of the mountain, middle of the jungle, a mile from the beach, just gorgeous. And, you know, uh, life for all of us is very stressful right now. So the point of the vacation was, hey, let's go down there and get some real rest and relaxation and unplug and sort of decompress and get our get our center of gravity back and so that's the goal so i'm down there uh brew coffee when i wake up i'm on the back porch drinking coffee i was reading uh that lewis book that you and i uh with back baxter's uh, latest book on uh, the medieval c.s lewis and i'm listening to the birds sing and i'm listening to the insects play their instruments and i'm listening to the howler monkeys scream like balrog from the lord of the rings straight out of you know <laughs> hell uh it's crazy the way they sound but they're little monkeys they're not very big and then i heard human voices drift up the mountain and it was just a normal family they lived about you know 50 yards down on the mountain and I could just hear them in the morning. It was, you know, 630 in the morning. They're talking about their day. And at first it was an annoyance. It was like, oh, I want to listen to nature. And I came here to relax. And I don't want to hear human voices. That's like what I am running from. And this th thought occurred to me. And I actually wrote it down in my journal. It's like, what a demented way to think because that human voice is the very good of creation. Mm. Those monkeys and birds and insects are good, but that human voice talking about an ordinary day with his wife, eating breakfast on their porch is the very good. And I think we've gotten to a place in modernity where we look at humanity in general as an annoyance or an, or an impediment to relaxation and peace. So now instead of looking at humans as the crown jewel of God's creative genius, we look at them as a hindrance towards what we're trying to accomplish with our life. And then our vision of the human family becomes distorted. And this is where I think the devil can get a foothold in the modern mind is because once you make that initial move towards understanding humanity as sort of bad or not very good or an annoyance or something that's worthy of my ire, uh, then what you're saying is that life is not as valuable as it is. 
And then the next move from there is, well, God is life. And so now we've moved from a, a, a negative view of the image of God to a negative view of God who is eternal life. And that deformation that you're talking about, I think, can be exponentially increased once that logical move starts to pick up speed. Mm. So our love for neighbor and our love for humanity in general, really, you know, John says in first John, if you say you love God, but hate your brother, then you're a liar. You actually don't love God. Loving God is the prerequisite towards loving your neighbor. And so I think that in the social media age, with our political um, sort of fractures and the, the, the void is getting, or I'm sorry, the, the divide is becoming bigger and bigger. If what we see is our general disdain for humanity increasing, then that's bad because that's what the devil wants. If you hate humanity in general, you will end up hating God because mm -hmm. God is the donor of life to that creature, which is the which is the capstone of his genius and creation. So yeah. for whatever that's worth. A lot. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's worth saying, you know, the way of Christ and the apostles and the early church, you know, when you read the apostolic fathers and look at all their moral emphases, I think it is in, in a cultural sense, uh, this is mixing metaphors a bit, perhaps, but it is, it's the world's true real politic. You know, mm. people talk as though love and realism are, are opposites. Oh, that's just being sentimental and nice, but we have enemies sure. out there. They're out to get us. Oh, the way of love, that doesn't accomplish anything. It's accomplished the transformation of the human race. Uh, it doesn't accomplish it perhaps in the way that everybody wants. But I think the other thing to say there again is fighting is not inconsistent with love. The point yep. here is not to say that there aren't people out to get you. The point here is not to say that there aren't very, very, very dangerous forces uh, uh, that are destructive to civilization. Uh, with agents behaving in evil ways that would be catastrophic to you and your children. And there's nothing wrong with saying that we should do whatever we can to stop them. Well, I say whatever we can within, within the righteousness of God. Uh, yeah. Actually, part of righteousness is not doing whatever you technically could. There are some things Christians will not do. Uh, right. The ends do not justify the means. But do whatever we can within righteousness to stop them. All we are really adding to that, and I mean, in a sense, all we would want to, I think, have people walk away with in a conversation like this is, but you're still not unable to, to connect with almost anybody on any portion of that spectrum on a vector that is outside that fighting exchange. And it's important to do so. And in fact, really, I mean, politics, it's funny, we go, we want to talk about politics, uh, the world of politics, one could argue, was a lot better when we lived in a world where senators actually talked to one another more. Uh, mm. The world, the literal world of doing politics in, in Washington, D.C. is less and less uh, one where uh, people live in Washington, D.C. And, and actually know each other on, a, on, on several vectors rather than just singular vectors. And really, all, all we would want to say is it's it's the very stuff of Christian influence to expand the vectors in which we know people, to be that person at the faculty meeting who's fighting, you know, the rise of wokeism uh, and fighting it very passionately uh, and being the faculty member that can be under fire for <laughs> uh, for pressing against the, the slow, small march through the institutions, but can nevertheless go to the most vocal person who's against you and say, hey, I would like to talk about this with you. And I would like to find, I would like to move toward you. And I'd like yes. to see you move toward me. That move can still be made. And, and if we don't make the move, if we don't make that move, what are we yes. doing? 
Just yeah. what are we even doing? <laughs> yeah, I think so. This is the last thing I'll say, and I'll let you wrap it up. Um, but no, I, I'm I, done. You wrap it up We're right okay. here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yes, that's all we're saying. If if what you've heard us say today is don't fight the good fight and don't stand up for what is godly and just and righteous, then you've not listened. Um, what we're saying is in your approach to humanity at this point in history, do you hate in your heart? And are you critiquing third wayism and winsomeness and nuance and kindness because you have hatred in your heart? I don't know. But that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Yeah. Because it is a time that it is very tempting and easy to hate. And what is motivating you? Is it hatred? Or do you actually care about the redeeming of your human family members? However you answer that, then act accordingly. If you have hatred in your heart, repent to God. You get to do that. Thank God and turn towards righteousness. If, if, if you're deceived, then sit with yourself and ask yourself a bunch of questions about what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to build up or are you trying to tear down? Are you trying to save or are you trying to destroy? At the end of the day, all we're saying is the devil wants you to hate people. We think you should love people because that's what Jesus did. And part of love is acting out of your love towards people in a way that shows the beauty and goodness of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all it is. And if you want to say that that's what cucks do, then I would love to talk with you. So send me an email. Then be a cop uh, for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, uh, but that's it. That's all we're saying. Question the motives of your heart and don't hate, don't hate other people. And uh, love is never a squishy thing to be put inside of square scare quotes and used as a weapon to make others feel bad about their approach to the yeah. culture. So I guess I do have one last thing to say then, because I think what you said is just so, so good. And, and, and I think what we can add to that is in doing that redeems your own reign. It doesn't make you less effective in the things wherein you're righteous. It makes you more effective in, in the things wherein you're righteous. It's not, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, to to do that actually makes your fights go better. Uh, if you are the guy who loves and the guy who's fighting the political battle, your political battle will go better, not worse, uh, yes. because you will have more public gravitas. People will respect you more. Uh, humans respond to love. And, and, and this is the other thing is the Bible never contrasts truth and love. It always, always is putting those together and assumes that the fragrance of love dripping off your proclamation of truth is part of the whole communication of all Christians to their neighbors. It mm. regularly, re this is just all over the place. It, there's a regular assumption that that matters uh, uh, in terms of the very content of the truth of what you're saying, because part of what you're communicating when you utter a sentence frankly, to use the word again, is the vibe with which you are uttering it. The human interpretive apparatus will not remove that from the verbs and nouns that come out of your mouth. And that matters very, very, very deeply. And just to, you know, again, to be clear, what Dale just said is true of, of the other direction as well. Mm. Uh, you know, if you, I have had to examine my own heart about whether, you know, my, I, I guess I tend by personality to be on the kind of winsome side of things, um, but that can be instrumentalized. And it's important for me to, to resist spiritual death and the devil to ask yeah. myself and my heart, whether that is rooted also in self-protection, whether that's rooted in all of those things. And so there's the devil uh, exists in, in all the places. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, we, and we all do that. But 
it's precisely the redemption of your reign. It's the redemption of your own gifts. It's the redemption of your person, uh, the, the work of God's redemption through his Holy Spirit in your life to press all the way down into the very basic textures of those words of Christ in, the begin in, that, in those Beatitudes in that 1 Corinthians 13 to fully swallow <laughs> uh, uh, and let that ooze out your pores will not make you fight less. It might even make you fight more, but it'll make you fight well. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I'm not, I don't speak as one having arrived. I speak as me. You know, I'm not sure I'm a white belt, <laughs> right. but I, but I, but I think you can look at the possibilities and say, I don't, I don't even think we, we're all discouraged. I don't think we, I don't even think we know the fight. We're discouraged yeah. before we know how to win. Yep. Amen. Well, this is a good conversation, Joe. Thank you very much. I think we'll probably end up talking about this again at some point in the future, but, uh, but good conversation. So, yes, all right. Uh, all the things Davenant, uh, YouTube, you can check us on iTunes. You know where to find us. If you've already found us, share us with your friends, if you think it's worth it. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. So, uh, until next time, Joe, I love you, brother. Love you too, man. We'll see y'all. See you.